Hello and welcome to this week's episode of BWB Extra, where we continue our conversation with author and mentor Jerry Hyde. We dig deeper into the roots of Jerry's recent documentary, Make Me a Man, where members of Jerry's male therapy groups are interviewed to show what conscious masculinity looks like. We also hear about how Jerry's approach to therapy practice differs between male and female clients and discuss the much broader topic of gender stereotypes, their place in society, and whether they're still valid in today's world. Welcome to Making a Man. How did you make the film? What's the, what's the, the you know, the setting or the... Same way as I do everything, which is kind of throw it together and then get someone else to tidy up the mess. <laughs> so um, people have asked me about the selection of the men that were interviewed, because, you know, I've got... I don't know, 40, 50 guys I could have asked, but it was literally who's of, who's around on Saturday and it was who showed up. It was, <laughs> And I like that, that there was no selection. It's not very formulaic in that sense. It's, yeah. there's, there's something very real about that. And did the kind of act of observation change how you think people, you know, sort of portrayed themselves or what they said? I don't think so. I mean, these are guys, I've, some of them I've worked with for 20 years or more. Uh, and the way we set it up was we just, we put a camera in front of me, a kind of chest height, and I just looked over it. But it was just on a tripod and I was talking to them yeah, like I'm yeah, talking yeah. to you. And they've talked, they're so familiar with talking to me that I think we all forgot that there was a camera there pretty quickly. Although interestingly, when that was something we made a decision early on, it would just be me because I'm the therapist. And later on, when my partner got involved and we did some filming in France, what I noticed was that the guys there didn't talk when she was around. And I think that's, oh, really? that, that's uh, so I would put that down to conditioning. You know, I think all men, all women are conditioned in certain ways and men are conditioned in how to be, behave in front of women. And so they reverted to that when she was there and then she went to bed and we all started getting to the deep stuff. And I was like, fuck, where's the camera? Where's the microphone? I don't know how to use it. Um, but that's, that's the, so probably the only... So you think they weren't willing to kind of, I don't, think it was very, their, I don't think it was their, very conscious, uh, but that's that's the only reason for me why I run men's groups. Yeah, it's like I say, it's not to talk about gender or masculinity. No. It's if you bring a woman in, all their mother stuff's going to get triggered. All their stuff around how to behave in front of women, which you can work with. There's value to that, but uh, I'm lazy. I kind of like to bypass that, and you know, you get into get stuff. to the deep stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's something in this in in, in business. I remember um, an old friend of mine, his dad, talking. Um, he worked in Black and Decker. He worked in a lot of big companies and was sort of CEO of things. Nothing and, more manly than Black, Black and, and Decker. Decker. <laughs> you know, Mister Black and Decker. Uh, come screw over. Fix. <laughs> yeah, screw fix. Oh yeah, that's the new one. Yeah, yeah. and Mister Black and Decker always had to have his dinner at six o'clock, and then they once had a big um, gathering in Spain, and they had to they had to go to a restaurant and pay the restaurant to open early, pay people to go for dinner early, oh, so the Mister Black and Decker could walk in at six o'clock and have dinner because he's he was American and he ate dinner at six o'clock. Um, but the the point I was making is um, he he said, yeah, the funny thing is is that um, when it was just men in business, so this is a long time ago, this is in the sort of sixties seventies. He said, basically, we'd all, we'd go in the room, we'd all argue the fuck out of it, and then, and we'd be really aggressive with each other, and then we'd go to the pub. And that, and it worked, he said. And then women entered the working environment, and it was just nobody, a bit like what you're saying, nobody knew how to act almost. It's like aggressiveness, 
you know, you would say it's conditioning maybe, but this is a, this is a, a big journey that's been going on within business about how does a woman act? You know, does, does a woman, should she use her femininity? Should she be aggressive? How does the man act towards her? I mean, I've learned it working with my sisters over years that I'd be having meetings with them and I think we're just having a conversation and they'd burst into tears and they'd just be like, you stop talking to me like that. And then they'd leave and I'd get a call from my mom and my dad about what you've Sounds done. Sounds more working with it, family, man. That's not... Maybe. But if, but if a woman gets angry, she's a crazy bitch. Yeah. Yeah. Right? If a man starts crying, he's a wimp. Yeah. And so I've learned over the years that when I'm working with men, I have to encourage them to cry. When I'm working with women, I have to stop them crying if, I, if they want to get to their anger. Because when mm. they start getting into their anger, nine times out of ten, they'll start crying. And that's just conditioning. They yeah, it's also like, it is the when I, the times in my working life, for example, where I've had to go to the loo and cry, it's because I'm so angry. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm so angry. And it's the only, like, it, that's the release, is you go somewhere where nobody can see oh, you, bloody hell, my have a cry, and then come back. But, you know, the, the word that I really hate is shrill. Because that's the accusation that gets thrown at you. Because, you know, I'm a corporate lawyer. There aren't that many, or they used, there's more now, but there used not to be many women in corporate law. And so you very rarely end up opposite another woman on a deal. You know, you, you're normally the only woman in a room, that kind of thing. And um, I was once on a deal negotiating against another woman. And the partner I was with, I was a junior at the time, but he said to me, you negotiate. And he I don't know how to at, talk to women. He yeah. looked at the partner on the other side who was a man. I was negotiating against the number two who was a woman on the other side and said, handbags at dawn. And it's that kind of, it's that kind of, if, if you're a woman in business and you get, you try and negotiate in a tough manner, you're seen as being aggressive, loud, obstreperous. If God, you're a man, a you're arguing for your client in an effective manner. And there's that whole thing and it is totally conditioning and it's frigging infuriating. There were so many yeah. things I need to unpack in that, that sentence. What is obstetrious? Bolshe. Bolshe, okay. And handbags at dawn, I've, it's always just been a phrase. I've never thought about it. It's basically the equivalent of pistols at dawn, but we're going to handbag yeah, each other. But you so know, it's a sort of derogatory. A handbag is not something a man has, right? Yeah. It's something that terrifies men. Yes, <laughs> especially when they. You are, if my if my partner asks me to go and get something out of a handbag, it's like no, I'm not putting my hand what, into that. that. It might, it might be full it. of snakes or so. It's yeah. just terrifying bag of chaos that I don't understand because I like order. <laughs> what What did you? I mean, on that subject, did you discover something? You must have discovered loads of new things about men. But you know, was there something particular you 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 feel you discovered about us through the film? Mm. No, <laughs> not especially. I had to sit and watch the rushes. You know, I've watched these guys. I know the film by heart. Mm. So you watch, you know, hundreds of hours of watching it. And I think it gave me a bit more appreciation of what they do in, in stepping back and being the observer rather than being in it. Mm. That was good. And it made me appreciate what we all do, which is... Or even getting feedback because we get a lot of we do you know we do Q and A's when we do screenings so you get a lot of and that you know that can be last time I did a Q and A the film's an hour and ten minutes and I think we had two and a half hours of questions from wow. people is that so good people, or bad no it's good oh that's good people you know it took me by surprise but people get really affected by it and um, I think the the way that it impress because I take it for granted I've done it for twenty seven mm. years now 
but the way it impacted people and touched people, I was like, oh, okay, so maybe maybe we're doing something all right here. Yeah, yeah. And it reminded me of the commitment that we all make, which is, uh, you know, I run four groups now, which is less than I have in the past, but that's four evenings. And how long every, is each group? Three hours. So it's four wow. evenings every other week for 27 fucking years. Wow. <laughs> I was just going to say, how long do people come to your groups for? Presumably they're not the, or are they the same people over 27 yeah. years? Yeah. Well, I haven't run private groups 27 years. I started running domestic violence groups 27 years ago, and then I started running private groups 24 years ago. And, yeah, the longest-serving person has been in 21 years. A lot of them have. Wow. Every yeah. every other week for 21 years. More or less. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it just becomes family, you know. Becomes, yeah, yeah. Becomes... A support uh, system. I'm, I'm not interested in doing kind of modular edu- psychoeducational yeah, yeah. stuff. It's much more of a community thing, a support system. If it's, if it's conditioning which makes us sort of men and women... It, it's it, it's a sort of system that's set up because because we're saying two things. It's like, are men and women better together? My general view is we're better when we're together because we we balance each other out. We sort of behave in a slightly more, you know, balanced manner. On our own, men will just get fucked up, you know, and, and, and you know, women get bitchy, you know. I mean, that's the some, uh, you know. Do we? Yeah, Do we that's, really? that's some of my experience of it. They, they will end up coming out fighting and we will end up coming out fighting drunk. Do you know what I mean? It's There's something odd that goes on. Men, I mean, I, yeah, it's difficult to, there is so much conditioning involved. I mean, there's an interesting case, again, tiptoeing so as to not to re- reveal identity, but I've got one guy who's been in a group with me for quite a long time who was originally a woman, he transitioned, and I see his journey, I never clocked this because I I didn't know what to expect, but I see his involvement in the group as part of, it's like you have surgery, you have hormones, Mm -hmm. and then you do the psychological work because when he first joined, he would cry and be a bit more bitchy, for want of a better word. Yeah. And I thought, this is really interesting. You've you've had the different procedures, but you haven't dealt with the social conditioning. And as he's been in it over the years, he just got a bit more thuggish and kind of yeah, yeah. more, more. I think, has permission to be angry. And that's what I find with guys who will go, I didn't like that. No, I didn't like that either. But I love you. And we'll kind of, you know, hug and make up. And I did try running. I had a, a group of women who approached me. who said, we're jealous. We want to be in, in a group with you. Will you facilitate it? I was like, I'll give it a go. And there was a definite difference in that when there were disagreements, rather than having it out with each other, they would come to, they would come to me and go, yeah, I didn't like what she said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, talk to her about yeah. it. Yeah. Like, oh, I yeah. And so I found that quite complex and it didn't last very long. <laughs> I wasn't very good at it. But that, these are important because there's an underlying this is an important question about we all work together as men and women now, but there's not a lot of clear guidance or, you know, we're kind of working it out still. We're still... Uh, treading on each other's toes or doing the wrong. I'm still making my sisters cry, you know, or whoever, you know. I'm, you know. So it's isn't, isn't there, I mean, I perceive that there's a some kind of myth that the work has been done. We've had the suffragettes, we've had the feminist movement, we've had the sexual revolution, we've had the 1960s, 1970s, and now we're here and everyone's equal. Yeah. And I think yeah. we're probably about 
a quarter of the way through a 200-year process, if that. Maybe the Me Too was kind of blowing the whistle of kind of finally there's a sort of real mark in the sand that maybe we're starting to, you know, it's the end of the beginning and the beginning of the next stage or whatever. But, you, you know, know, there's still that thing that, you know, if we look, if we simply look at business, you know, you go to any networking group that isn't, you know, I do a few networking groups that are only women, but you go to any networking group that isn't and you know, most of the people there will be men. And you'll, you know, I can remember going to a networking event with my very posh, very tall assistant. And we were standing in a group of people and everyone talked to him. Mm. Yeah. And I kept answering the questions and they still talked to him. It still happens a lot on clients. We have clients that, you know, whether we're doing it at a habit or something else, but sometimes they just keep turning. The men tend to talk to men, you know, maybe we're, you know, if you think of when we all gather socially, it always cracks me up. We all, we're all mixed to start with. And by the end of the evening, there's the men down one end and the women down the other end of the table. I mean, that so often happens. No one's telling anyone to do shit, but it's just how we end up grouping. That's interesting because I don't really, I've not noticed that in terms of social, maybe, maybe it's because I'm single so I'm not part of a couple where the husband would go off with the men and the I would go off with the women. Like when maybe, I go maybe out with to people, old friends. I tend to just talk to, yeah, the people I like. Yeah, but I mean, within within the environment, then what are you know what are the useful things that we can we can we can think about to try and like draw from? So you've taught me something interesting already, which is that okay, if someone if a woman's getting emotionally what would appear just, sad i mean to be fair that's me i'm not saying that's everyone but no but i think you said something similar you know what did you say when a woman cries that's that's her response where a man will get angry those are the kind of sort of under stress when i tend to i mean let's put it in the context when i'm working with a woman around anger so there's a context for the for me and my intervention and she starts crying i will often stop her and say don't cry right stay with your anger because the 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 crying diverts her from the the, yeah. the more powerful, you know, intense feeling. And because I think, yeah, you know, women are allowed to cry a little bit, you know, just dab it away with a handkerchief. Not not hysterically, please. <laughs> but um but that's that just kicks in. Does that just uh, not annoy you when people are doing little tiny tears? The little dab. <laughs> <laughs> just like fuck's sake, man up. Yeah, man up. People up. Uh, you know. <laughs> Person up. Person up. <laughs> Gangster up. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit It's more than just survived From complying with the FCA And all things financy They can also speak fluently In the language of legalese Aubrey Clark was born and raised Right here in the UK And now for 20 years They've been helping others Get set up and on their way Aubrey Clark's doors always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. So you made you made the film. What is what is the um, architecture then of, of releasing a film? You you do a premiere or how does that all work? 
Yeah, again, you're asking me the wrong, <laughs> asking asking the wrong person. person. <laughs> um, I mean, we did a premiere in New York. Uh, we were we had a lot of backing from a guy who's not so well known here, but is quite famous in America called Sebastian Junger, who had made a bunch of films. He was Oscar nominated for a film called Restrepo. Cool. He wrote The Perfect Storm, which they made into oh, a that's film. That's like an excellent film. Well, I mean, it's probably a better story, but you know. Yeah, so he you know, he kind of championed us and we did a premiere in New York, which was fantastic and a lot of fun and really exciting. And loads of people came up to us and said, we love your movie, we want to, you know, get it on the networks. And we never heard a fucking word from anyone because yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, Americans, Americans are really good at yeah. enthusiasm. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when you're in India and you ask someone directions and they'll give you directions even though they haven't got a clue no. because they hate saying no. <laughs> so, <laughs> Peaceful. So nothing happened in America. Um we had one conversation, I can't even remember who it was, with some big, big, big outfit who wanted us to put more abuse in. You know, it's like, can we, can we get some more abuse in here? <laughs> we love the sexual I'll see, I'll abuse see what stuff. I can do. <laughs> <laughs> like, you evil fucks. It's very social morals, isn't it? Um, yeah. So, no, it didn't go anywhere in America, really. Uh, and then we brought it here, we did a screening here, and then COVID kicked COVID in. COVID kicked in, um, yeah. Are there any other sort of things to be, you know, said about sort of classic ways men and women act, you know? I mean, if you're saying, you said an interesting thing, I don't know if it was off off mic as it were, but that, you know, when your partner was there recording, the men were sort of not opening up less. So in a way that suggests to me in a business environment, which is supposed to be a stressed environment, that maybe we, maybe if I think about it inside, I, I'm I'm trying to sort of, be a bit more gentlemanly, but maybe show off a little bit more or something. There's, there's part of my male psyche that can't help that I'm I'm effectively peacocking a little bit because I can't help it, you know? Totally. I mean, the, the you know, I talked about women-only networking and part of the reason I enjoy it, yes, people are bitchy. They tend to more likely say, yeah, I just wasn't feeling it today and I didn't like that thing yeah. than say it in the room, mm. right? But I would say generally... Women just, whether it openly or just generally, are far more supportive of each other. And the problem, you know, again, the problem that I used to see all the time is just this massive competitiveness and competition the whole time. In any meeting that we would have, everybody's trying to one-up everybody else about what they're doing, who their clients are, where they're, you know the whole time to the point where I'd sit there and think, shall I just say, just get them out, put them on the table, we'll measure them now. Yeah. And we'll finally know who's got the biggest, because that's all it, was, it felt it was about. Mm. I think, again, it's back to conditioning. Yeah. I think, you know, I take these guys with very, very little work, just by a, a slight shift in the kind of culture of, the, of what happens in the room. It's that thing, you know, that I think we touch a lot on a lot in the film because we, we spent some time around the First World War trenches. It's that thing of men will die for each other. You know, mm. there's there's that deep kind of camaraderie. Well, camaraderie. Oh, way we, uh, you know, it's another stereotype, but it is true to a great extent. We we we're not very good at thinking the future. If I think how my wife or every girlfriend I've ever had seems to approach life, I'm just living for that day. If I know right, what am I doing for dinner? Am I getting drunk later? <laughs> well, you know, it's very no. I was so simplistic, but you sort of you then you think, well, why are we a bit like that? And it's like. Well, in a weird way, we're kind of warriors, you know? It's kind of like, it kind of feels like, yeah, part of this is just, we're just here to react today, we'll do whatever. It's risk-taking, basically. We're really good risk-takers, you know? 
Yeah, and there's there's something I never really considered, but we did a Q&A when we did the screening in New York and someone asked a question about why men are so shut down emotionally. And Sebastian, who's a... Originally, was a trained as an anthropologist before he became a filmmaker. Said something I'd never considered, which is it's really useful. You don't, you don't mm. want if you got to go into battle or if you got to go up against a woolly mammoth or something. You don't want to be feeling crying. Anything not a good idea? Yeah, yeah. You, you want yeah. to shut it down. And but, worrying about the future. So you know where the wife would be. What are we going to do about the woolly mammoth? What there's a bloke you like. Well, he's not here today. If it comes tomorrow, <laughs> I'll deal with it, you know, even though I haven't sharpened my tools. But, but you the know. problem, and we touch on this in the film as well, the problem is we used to have rituals so men would go off to battle and then they would come back and they would be, like in ancient Rome, I think they would be ritualistically washed. It's like you'd wash the violence off them and wow. then they could be back as kind of soft, gentler, you know, to human beings. But we, we, we lost those rituals somewhere down the line. So now we're asked to switch off, but we're never switched back on but you're saying that in your groups it was quite easy or not easy but you know a few nudges to get to a place where they can start to open up and talk about things do you think part of that is due to a kind of self-selection of the people that are turning up yeah yeah, absolutely you know um i mean we're talking about 35 people out of how many million men in this country who have gone oh i'd like to go and sit and talk about my feelings no but one of the reasons so they're already (laughs) no but one one of the reasons you're good at it is you're a man yeah and as a man i've talked to therapists before and yeah usually women and then they're kind of like it's like they want my story or my gossip or something and i just i get whereas to talk to a man um, if you were a bit fucking pansy and pathetic and all, you know, as a man, then again, I don't think it, it I works. I am, I am. Well, well, maybe underneath, <laughs> maybe underneath you're cuddly there. But, um, you know, but you're not, you know, you look someone in the eye and say, you know, what the fuck, you know, or, you know, and that's, I don't know, it's not input, it won't, it won't work for everyone. But again, it's almost that repressed emotion. It's like, I'm thinking about now in the business environment, I'm thinking it's really interesting if we repress our emotion, we're good at repressing our emotions. And it makes sense to me that I'm finding the woman's crying now and I was just trying to talk about something and I'm just repressing everything and I'm just trying to get to the facts. And it's sort of, um, it takes another man almost to take you on and be like, no, that's the way it is. And I think it's the same for the therapy. Do you know what I mean? It's like... It, from everything we're saying, if you think about what we're saying, it's harder for a woman to give therapy to a man, talking therapy, I would suggest, you know, or vice versa. Is that bullshit? I mean, it, therapy, if you look at the history of it, started out with Freud and Jung. It was a very, very male... That was the start. That was it. Yeah, it was a very male-dominated world. Then round about the kind of 60s, early 70s, it kind of switched and it became very female-dominated. And when I trained in the early 90s, there were me, two other guys, and 23 women. And that's always been the case in all the groups I've ever, training groups wow. I've ever been mm. in. Well, look at look at the early therapy. It was the vibrator. It was one of the first male therapies for women 100 years ago to treat yeah, hysteria. Not and not for a so good reason, up. though. Not no, for no, a good that's reason what I'm at saying. All. Look how we approach the problem. We didn't talk to men and then we were like, oh, we need to build or a machine. Or work out what a clitoris is, <laughs> yeah. for example. We've worked <laughs> out. Crazy idea. I mean, it's just incredible when you think about it. So it almost, it almost you, you did this thing out of kind of like, okay, no, I've got to, you know, let's do something just about men. What was the spark of the idea? I never fucking plan anything. Okay. <laughs> you just I, was, did it. I thought, let's make some stuff. We'll, we'll, we'll just make, we'll just film some headshots. Some interviews with That's some guys. We'll stick it on YouTube. We'll forget about it. If, if 50 people look at it. Uh, and I think part of it, 
I might, I, you know, the past is very unreliable because I mythologize. I think most people mythologize, but the way I've kind of conceptualized it in my head without it necessarily being literal is I got bored of asking men, who are your role models? Because they'd sit there, as, as Bill Hicks used to say, like a dog that's just been shown a card trick. <laughs> and they just were silent. And, really? I, and I gave up in them because they hadn't got any role models. Occasionally someone would say James Bond. It's like, oh, shut up. Um, <laughs> it's not a good role model. <laughs> and then... Like Martini, that's the thing. <laughs> but then I realised, well, actually, maybe I'm asking the wrong people. Maybe they're the role models. Maybe they could be role models in as much as these are men who have shown up for years working on themselves, crying, challenging the stereotypes, being accountable to each other, challenging the shit out of each other, trying to be different. Maybe we just present them to the world. Not as, uh, you know, role model sounds a bit grandiose, but just alternative. Because like, everyone's going, you know, there's, I've, I've read stuff and seen stuff that puts a lot of male suicide, which is the biggest killer of men in this country, right? Mm, More than heart disease right. or cancer. Really? Uh, that they put a lot of it down to, they call it the buffer generation. So how old are you? 43, I have to think about yeah, it. Yeah, you're kind of on the outside, but my generation is called the buffer generation. We're the first generation of men for probably, and certainly hundreds if not thousands of years, who can't look to our fathers as role models. And they say a lot of the suicide is because we're just going, uh, what the fuck is Why the point of Why can't we look us? to our fathers? Because they're not appropriate. The world has changed. No, they're, yeah. they're old school. Yeah, you know. fuck, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, yeah, he's been offending me my whole life. You yeah. Know? So we, we don't look, whereas, whereas he and his father and his father and his father will have looked, you know, back and gone, okay, that's how to be a man. We don't have that. So we're kind of lost. So I'm offering some little glimmer of light. Well, well this is how you could be. Yeah, you might not right. want to be. It's not, there is no one way, but. A man who's a bit more emotionally articulate, emotionally involved, who's a bit more willing to experience their vulnerability rather than punch people. I mean, this is this is something I was explicitly taught. I, mean, I went to the the comp up the road from you guys. I went to St Mary's in Datchet. Oh yeah, yeah. And I remember when I was getting bullied there and asking my dad, um, or him telling me, I don't know what, what the conversation was, but I remember him saying in about 1969, if someone picks on you, just punch them as hard as you can in the face. And wow. That, you know, I think that's very common for men. And so I ended up working in domestic violence and people would say, so why, why are men so violent? And I think that the conclusion I came to is because we're told to be. Yeah. yeah. We're not yeah, told totally. how to experience it. And I think men are generally violent. Some of them like it. You know, the hardest clients were the ones who just liked it. But most men will be violent, you know, particularly in a domestic situation, because they don't have the language. They don't yeah. have the vocabulary when they're feeling belittled or small or humiliated or fragile or delicate or sad. And you've been taught in that situation, punch someone, what are you going to do? We need yeah, to give yeah. men a different language rather than tell them off for being violent. There's no point to that. You have to, you have to expand their palate. You know, the, yeah. the, I have this um, theory that, 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 you know, men, again, are generally physically more stronger than women. You know, generally we are. And hence women must be cleverer than us because it wouldn't have worked for thousands and thousands of years. Because if I was stronger than my missus and she was, I was smarter, because she's deaf, women, all, I know this from my sister, they're all better at arguing and thinking and talking <laughs> and communicating than I am. I just, as you say, I get a lot, when I was little, my sister would go run around my head and then I'd get annoyed and I'd kick her. She'd run <laughs> off to my mum and she'd cry to my mum. So it's all of the things we just said, it's like a chain 
million of those things. My mum would be, what did you do? And he's like, I didn't do anything. You've been winding him up. She did, she wound me up. <laughs> and then, and, and, and uh, I mean, this, 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 this. Do you, t- want, do you want to talk about this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am, I think. <laughs> you, but, um, what I was trying to get, you know, it's so funny because I cry a lot as a man. I cry during adverts, I, which is famous amongst <laughs> my friends because they caught me crying during an advert. I was like, the poor donkey. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But in a meeting, I would never fucking cry. I don't think I've ever cried in a meeting. I, I remember one time being absolutely taken apart by this guy who's much older than me. And, I, you know, I left I left the room and then I had to cry. And that, I think that's literally But my it. point is, I don't think your sisters would cry in a meeting unless they were having a meeting with you. Right. Because, you know, <laughs> no, but not because no, I it's take the you, point. but because, yeah. you know, like when I go home for Christmas, everybody, we're all in our 40s and 50s. Everybody fucking reverts to what they were like at 10, you know, and you have the same arguments and you behave the same yeah. way and you you feel You're that right. liberty certainly... to cry in front of your siblings in a way that you wouldn't do with other people. I uh, always liked meeting a girlfriend's um, with her family uh, because I think you finally see another real version of them, you know, and it can be, if it's not good, do take that as meaning something because that is a version of them, you know. But but they'd always be like, oh, you know, you made me introduce me to mum so quickly and now, you know, you're leaving. It's like, no, it's because I saw you with your mum. <laughs> I really was concerned. So there you have it. That was this week's episode of BWB Extra. Thank you to Jerry Hyde for joining us. A big thank you to you, dear listener, and we'll be back with a new episode next week. In the meantime, please rate and review us on Apple, follow us on Spotify, and come say hi on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, at bizwithoutbs. Until next time, it's goodbye. Goodbye.